pod is back. February, five weeks from Selection Sunday as we record this episode. Uh, we are recording just after Northwestern squeaks past Wisconsin in a game that I think most people will want to forget watching. It was not very pretty basketball. It was not very good basketball. It ended in repeated isolation possessions for Boo Booey and Chucky Hepburn, and Boo Booey won. Um, Wildcats get to seven and five in the Big Ten. Um, and at least stay on track for now to be in the NCAA tournament picture. Interesting game, interesting weekend in college basketball. Um, several ranked teams losing uh, as has become tradition every weekend. Um, we should apologize for last week's episode. We, I think we joked as it happened. We said, you know, Texas Tech is getting destroyed by Iowa State. Um, and I believe for the second time in podcast history, we've had a result change like mid-podcast. Or, or after the podcast, and uh, and and so listeners get a true timestamp as to when we were podcasting because Texas Tech came back and beat Iowa State after being down, I believe, 23. So we apologize for that, but cool timestamp if you were listening. Um, close enough. We pre- I don't think it changes the narrative on uh, season for Texas Tech or really for it, Iowa State for that matter. So it is kind of crazy though because I thought obviously Iowa State was going to win that game. They're way up. And after that, you know, because I've been saying all along, you know, Texas Tech's not that bad. Like, if yes. they were in the Big East, they'd be, like, in sixth place. Um, or if they were in the Big Ten, maybe they would be in third place or something. Uh, that's an exaggeration with with the Big Ten. But I, I truly think that they're not that bad. Um, so they get that Iowa State win, and you say, oh, here here's the momentum. Now they can, you know, they're not going to make the tournament, but maybe they can fight back, go 5-13, and 13 and, you know, feel better about their season. And they go out and get blown out over the weekend by Baylor. And you figure Iowa State, who just absolutely choked down the stretch against Texas Tech, that maybe this was a uh, a death knell to kind of them being a high seed that now it all come crashing down. They come out and take out Kansas in, at, at home over the weekend. So um, truly nothing to be learned from that Texas Tech-Iowa State game. Yes, it was a one-off where Texas Tech kind of got the pressure going. The other team wilted, and uh, that was that. But that happens, right? Like, in college basketball, like, you can kind of swing a game with pressure. Um, and, like, I, I just think that that's – like, I, I don't think there's anything more to read into there. Like, Tame and Lipsy's been good. It's not like they can't face deal with the press. That was that. So that is the one note that we should have from last week's episode – um, as we said, big, busy weekend in college basketball, um, including number one, Purdue taking a loss to Indiana, Gonzaga playing a thriller against St. Mary, several other really good games. Um, but somehow the biggest storyline was something a coach said in the media, and that was Jim Beheim, the oft-quotable, uh, oft-annoying um, coach of the Syracuse Orange. He had plenty to say about his future the state of the sport um mil you name it um the you know he said he was quote going to probably return next year that you know 95 percent of people when they see him at the grocery store tell him that he shouldn't retire which is of course not at all as a biased sample <laughs> he claims that college basketball is in a awful place because pitt wake forest and miami bought a team but his players make no money, um, and it's why all the coaches are retiring, but he is not retiring. 
it, it was it checked every Beheim box you could possibly imagine. Just like general curmudgeoniness, lots of things he was saying that were just incorrect. Um, followed by like a just loud proclamation that you're gonna have to like carry him out of his office to get rid of him. Pretty much summed it up. And since then, people have been coming back with, oh no, Syracuse has been paying guys all along. And it is funny, the two teams that he singles out, Pitt and Wake Forest. Now, I, I guess it is believable that Pitt could have some NIL. You know, they've they've gotten some some solid players. Pitt has, uh, so, 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 so I've, I've spoken to a few sources in college basketball about it. Wake Forest has like legitimately, like is very low on the NIL spectrum. Right, that's, that's what I thought. They have almost none. They gave out, you know, I, I they, they've given out some modest checks to guys who are on the team, but nothing over, you know, 50 grand. Like there's no, there's no big checks. There's no fancy cars. There's nothing at Wake Forest. They're not using an aisle to persuade recruits. Otherwise they would have recruited other guys than Jawatuka and uh, Andrew Carr. Pitt has some NIL. Pitt has enough to like outbid, you know, the mid-majors, outbid the teams that have zero NIL. Pitt does not have FU money. Pitt took Blake Henson, who was, you know, out of the game for two years. They took Federico Federico, who was a Juco kid, just sitting out there waiting for him. They took Nellie Cummings, a homecoming kid from, you know, a mid-major. Maybe I, 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 Greg Elliott, I guess, got something, but whatever. Who cares? Um, Greg Elliott was a fringe starter at Marquette. Um, and then Miami does have FU money, right? They spent 400 grand on Nigel Pack. They spent 400 grand on Norchad O'Meara. If you want to complain about a buy, you know, buying a roster, Miami's probably an understandable right. But yes, the idea that Wake Forest and then Jim Beheim did eventually walk those back, walk it back that Wake Forest bought its team. Would you? Sorry, I, well, I why would wrong. you say that in the first place? Like that's uh, that's such a crazy thing to say. I do want to say it's true. But I do want to mention it very quickly, though, how funny it is that, like, it was so preposterous to suggest that Wake Forest had any money, like, th- that everyone came out of work. What are you kidding? Of course Wake Forest has no money. They're clearly broke. And then they have to, like, yeah, and Steve Forbes has to, like, come to me, no, 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 we're, we have no money. For, trust us. We're broke. <laughs> Get nothing. And then we had a couple days earlier, right, where a student was like, hey, Coach, where's your starting power forward? And Jim was like, oh, you want to ask me where the starting power forward is? That's like, important. Screw you, you dumbass. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then he did, like, an interview with, like, the, with, like, the local radio station later in the week. He's like, oh, no, I was, it was misunderstood because I didn't know that they didn't know where he was. It's like, <laughs> get out of here, dude. He's just, like, again, he is just, like, an old man who's grouchy about everything. Um... I don't know that Syracuse is better off if he retires. Like, I'm not, particularly given the fact that the options seem to be Mike Hopkins, Jerry McNamara, and Adrian Autry. The idea that, like, Syracuse is being held back by Bayheim continuing to hold the throne, I think, feels a bit ridiculous. And I think their recruiting success certainly indicates that it's not as though they're having an issue getting players. Like, this team is not untalented. This team has, you know, top 150 recruits all over the place. Judah Mintz is a really good recruit. Um, they just landed – they're landing 2024 20, kids right now, right? Like, well, like, well, so they, they, they didn't land anyone for 23. They, If I remember correctly, they didn't have a ton of guys that they even went after. 
Um, but the thing was, Bayheim did not hit the portal hard enough this offseason. They are so freshman heavy. And if you think back to his like super successful Syracuse teams, as to like, okay, what's changed from then to now? I don't think the guys that they were getting were like super highly ranked. Uh, I remember like Fab Mello was, Rakeem Christmas, Deion Waiters. Uh, and now I didn't follow follow recruiting really back then, but like were James Sutherland and CJ Fair and Bai Musakita and all these guys, like they were like three star guys, right? Um, I, just, I think their rosters the last few years just have really lacked balance. Right, last year it was all shooting and no defense. This year it's all youth and too little experience. Yeah. Um, and and I, think, I think the other thing for Bayheim is I think stylistically they have not – obviously the zone is the zone, but I think even offensively, like, what do they really run? But, I mean, on the defensive end, I mean, teams – every team, no matter your style, is putting more playmakers, more decision makers, and more shooters on, on the court now than they did – in the heyday, you know, in the, say like 2011 or something, if 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 you watch college basketball highlights from like 2011, it looks like a completely different sport. A lot of mid-range jumpers, a lot of two bigs. Um, so I think that really lends itself to the zone, right? If you're playing two bigs and the guy in the middle is a, who has to make the decisions on offense is a six-nine power forward. Instead of now being like a six 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 seven wing, I think that could be a reason why the zone is less effective. Yeah, I I agree with that. Um, that the, I also think that they've just kind of gotten away from recruiting the guy. Like, there's a combination, right? It's one, they are facing teams that are more skilled, more athletic, better shooters. But two, they're also facing like they're also recruiting less athletic. They're not as long as they used to be, right? You think about even the right. teams that weren't as good, but like you had like Frank Howard and Tyus Battle, like their whole team was sick. And like, um, who is the kid? O'Shea Brissett and Malachi Richardson, Richardson Tyler Lydon. Like th- these teams had like six five to six nine long athletes who could run around and make shots. And they don't really have that anymore. Right? And maybe they're getting back to it. Like I like the Taylor kid who can really shoot it. Mintz is a good defensive player, but like when you're recruiting Joe Girard, right? Like Joe Girard has been a is gonna score fifteen hundred career points this year. He might already have had. But like what does Joe Girard give you defensively in a zone? He's like six right. So I, I just think like I, I think there's been kind of an identity crisis with Syracuse the last few years. Part of that probably has to do with Buddy, but even Buddy, like Buddy wasn't the problem. Buddy was, he was good. Six big wings would shoot it. Like he fit the zone perfectly. And a really good career. I just, you know, I, and people say, oh well, you know, guys didn't want to come because of nepotism. Well, okay, well, they're recruiting fine now. So not that good. So I don't know. I, I think 
I, I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't think the program is, you know, I, I, I just think the idea that like, oh yeah, well you could hire, you know, Red Autry in the spring and Syracuse would be back. Okay? I got. Never I, I, hire I, the assistant. But I mean, I start, I start seeing all this, oh, Ronnie Terry, Ronnie Terry, Ronnie Terry. No. They're <laughs> going to hire the assistant. You can't, guys. What are we doing? Look at, I mean, Kyle Neptune, David Cox, Noodles Neal, all these guys. I mean, we got to be like three to one for guys that flop versus guys that work. Like Greg Gard is someone who worked. And I don't even know how happy Wisconsin fans are with Greg Gard. I, I, I know at the start, they were very unhappy, and he, he was making like sweet 16s. They're not happy right now, Twitter. I'll tell you that. Um, but yeah, so my, my view my view is just generally like I don't think Syracuse immediately gets better by getting rid of Beheim, but I also think Beheim has kind of let the game pass him by to a certain extent, and that has hurt Syracuse. And I also think Syracuse does not look that great a job. Maybe this you know crazy booster who spends money so that Jalen Hurts will come sit next to him at games, or you know Giannis to come, or you know flies recruits on private jets. Like maybe this guy will actually start spending all his money on NIL. And they will get good players, but I, I kind of just I, I don't. When you look at the other teams that are like the other jobs that are like Syracuse, Syracuse doesn't really have anything that makes it special, other than a big fan base. Yeah, they have a huge fan base. They're the only game in town. They play in a very strong league. They have a great brand. Right, but like what? Like, like the what weather is, sucks. What's functionally different about Syracuse and Pittsburgh? Bigger fan base, better tradition. Yeah. Slightly better tradition. Which, you know, I I do think that the bigger fan base holds weight with recruits, but it is truly a double-edged sword. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, you could be getting, like, the Trace Jackson Davis letters in the mail, like, why do you suck so much? Um, As, like, the third best player in the country or whatever. I'm I'm just not I'm I'm just not convinced that Syracuse, no matter who they hire post Bayheim, no matter how long Bayheim stays, it's not going to get into a cycle of hiring and firing coaches every five years until they find another gap. Right? There, I I just don't think there's anything fundamentally different about Syracuse that makes it like a insulated from failure program. Right? It's I not, mean, yeah. Look at Georgetown. It's not Duke. Right? It's not Duke. Carolina. Things change, and it's based on coaching. I mean. Landing the right coach, or or a a passable coach even right that's that's all the difference in the world. Yes, hundred um, percent. But that was a very funny moment, if nothing else, of just stupid Wake Forest buying their team. So there there were a few things I wanted to get off my chest today. Always. Um, first, I I have to make a. a a confession. Uh-oh. It's February 5th, and I have not seen Missouri play yet this year. <laughs> the game I wanted to – the first game that everyone wanted to watch, Missouri-Illinois. It was on SEC Network. I don't have it. A couple days later, Missouri-Kentucky, SEC Network. I don't have it. I feel like – I know when, when I mentioned this to you before, you were like, oh, they were on CBS while, while, while you were at the Providence game. Well, I didn't watch that one, obviously. And, you know, like this week, oh, they're playing at, at Mississippi State. Maybe I'll check that out. Nope, SEC Network don't have it. Um, so, yeah, I, it is February 5th, and I've not watched a top, what, 30, 35 team in college basketball. Well, they're only 55th in Ken Palm, so you won't be okay. Didn't, didn't they start out, like, super high? 
They started 41st, which is actually really funny that Mizzou has fallen in Ken Palm 14 spots from the preseason. Yeah, anything, anything you want to share about your observations watching Missouri? Well, I only watched a little bit of the Mississippi State game, which was a very critical game for Mississippi State um, to keep their NCAA tournament hopes alive. My view on Missouri, like they're just they've they've had a very weird year with Isaiah Mosley in and out of the lineup for seemingly like discipline buy-in related reasons. The biggest thing with them is like they're gonna take a lot of threes, and it does feel like they have cooled off from there, from where they were early in the year. Like, you know, Kobe Brown's still shooting it well, but Demoy Hodge was shooting the cover off it early. Nick Honor was shooting the cover off it, and they're still at like 38, 40% statistically. But lately, it's been tough sledding, tough sledding for those two guys. Um, like Nick Honor was two for four against Mississippi State and four for seven against Iowa State. But outside of that, has made like two threes in the last seven games. It's just not, you know, it's, it, they're they're very reliant on those guys making shots, and you know, I they haven't really defended at all all year. They're, you know bad on the interior because they don't have a ton of size they play a lot of you know much smaller lineups with kobe brown at the five so you know i I think they're probably a tournament team five and five in the league haven't really had a bad loss but you know i I, i'm not I, i don't think this is a team that i would consider ripe for a deep run given they don't have a true point guard and they don't have a uh they're very reliant on three-point shooting, and they don't have a big. Now let, let's let's frame it this way: if they fall to say like an 11 seed, right? Which I don't think is off the table. If they're like an 11 seed, and they're playing, let's say, Providence, Indiana, or Indiana is probably too, too high now. But we'll say Providence, Rutgers, or. Um, We'll go with Miami. Duke. Miami. Or, or a Duke, you said? Okay, how about Providence, yeah. Rutgers, and Duke? Who do you think that they match up best with out of those three? Probably Miami, because they would just be a flat and down floor. But you added, I think, I think Rutgers and Providence would just be able to out-tough them and destroy them on the offensive glass. Same thing with Duke. They're 361st in defensive rebounding rate, Missouri, Missouri is. The only two teams worse are Merrimack, who's a straight zone team, and Morgan State. So, Wait, you, you said Missouri is third to last in the country? In def- defensive rebounding rate, yes. Oh, my God. Yeah, they get destroyed on the glass. Yeah, as, as, as a province fan, I think I want – Wisconsin or, or a Northwestern if I'm a six seed. Agreed. Watching that um, game, my my eyes lit up. Um, what what's next to get off your chest? Next next confession. This, this is like this is like Jim Beheim just getting Pete Dam on the phone. Yeah. <laughs> I've been making plans every night. It feels like, or at least probably what three or four nights out of the week, to watch this late night Mountain West game. Which is usually a good matchup, you know, some some combination of two of those top five teams in the league. I don't think I've made it through one one game 
the, the past month. Like this, this, this Tuesday was what? It was like Nevada and San Diego State or something, 11 o'clock. Yeah. I was like, this is the one. I'm going to stay up till 1 a.m. and finish it. I went to bed earlier than normal. I went to bed at 11.15. Just for whatever reason, these uh, Mountain West teams are putting me to sleep. So, But this week I'll watch one. I think there's New Mexico-Utah State is on Wednesday, I think. Uh, Wednesday is Utah State-San Diego State at 10. 10. Um, Tuesday we've got New Mexico-Nevada at 10.30, which should be an interesting game given the uh, first meetings. Controversial finish. The Morris Udazi flying elbows. Yes. I do so any to, any uh, thoughts on that confession that I can't make it through a Mountain West game? My my thoughts are a few things. Number one is that uh, the Central Time Zone rocks because those games are all done by like 11 p.m. So yeah, but it, it works but, from home, no problem. But if you had like a desk job and you had to make it to a six o'clock central like northwestern game i mean thoughts and prayers oh a hundred percent yeah but i don't have a desk job fortunately that's right so my other thoughts are yeah the cbs sports network mountain west games have been bananas like every game is nuts box one two have been good um i also i watched a little utah state the other day they are good like I hate their resume with all of my being. Their only win that matters is home New Mexico and neutral Wash, neutral versus Washington State. I watched the oral. I Robert. watched both those games. I think. But anyway, go on. Sorry. But like they are hard to guard. Like they really shoot it. They really space it. They have skill at every spot. Ashworth is a dude. Taylor Funk can shoot it. Crazy. And Dan uh, Aiken, who is the uh, starting center for UMBC in the game where they won the uh, one against Virginia, which is a wild thing to think about, but he's still in college. But Mr. Mr. Aiken uh, is really good, really efficient around the basket, great rebounder, blocks shots, gets to the free throw line crazy and makes them like really good player. So I think they're really good. I just, I don't even think they should be that close to the NCAA tournament picture right now. Because they got two bad losses. Right. Two horrible losses to SMU and Weaver State. Their best win is New Mexico at home. Like, let's move the needle here, folks. And they've got some opportunities. They got San Diego State coming up here at home on Wednesday, as we said. Um, They have a home game against Boise to close the year. They also prop and a home game against Nevada still on the schedule. They probably got to win at UNLV. Like, I, I almost think they have to win out. Win every game the rest of the way. I kind of think they do. Because, again, like, what, what have they done? Like, what have they accomplished? Like, what, what, what team in NCAA resume history has gotten an at-large bid when – they have what zero quadrant one wins. They have zero quadrant one wins and two quadrant four losses. How is that a tournament team? I mean, prop their resume up against Seton Hall, right? Who has the at Rutgers, the home Yukon, the neutral Memphis, and then they have the one bad loss to Siena on a neutral. 
at the end of the day, we know the committee wants quality wins. We know that's the way they operate. So, you know, it's great that they have these like tough Q3 wins over like Utah Valley and Bradley. Maybe that'll help their wins above bubble, but you know, they haven't done anything. So again, they have opportunities here coming up quadrant two games and quadrant one games win them. No problem. But I, I, I think they almost have to win out to be a tournament team. And I, I see bubble. I see bright colors where they're in right now. Like, what are we talking about here? Well, that actually leads into my third thing I wanted to say, which is not a confession. It's a statement. Okay. Bracketologists are all charlatans. Every one of them. Am I? Am I one? I haven't looked at your bracketology, but I'm sure. Wow. It, it, I'm sure it has charlatan in it. Well, no, I, I was listening to the, you know, the Field of 68 bracket show. <laughs> and I mean, just everything's a walking contradiction, and we know that the committee acts like that. Right. We know that they pick and choose. But when you're speaking with like such confidence and then contradicting yourself every other word, like, for example, the guy, um, uh, Brad Wachtel, I think, was on the Field 68 show. Yes. And I guess they got a question about, like, why is Arkansas an eight seed? I'm like, oh, well, Arkansas is an eight seed because they haven't done, done anything away from home. OK, that 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 sounds good to me. You know, they beat San Diego State. That's just one neutral win that they at the time they didn't have any road wins. They have pretty good metrics. I think that they're a solid team. Okay, eight seed sounds good. Then they get a question about Oklahoma, and he goes, "Well, Oklahoma's out of the field because they haven't done anything away from home." <laughs> so, how was Arkansas in eight because they haven't done anything away from home, and Oklahoma out? And the answer is because Oklahoma has too many losses. But then we get into this. This cyclical nonsense um, that the committee uses to justify everything. And, you know, it it really has me just leaning toward siding with the analytic folk, you know, with, with the spreadsheet boys. Um, there, there really should just be like a freaking formula that does it. So and now I don't want wins above bubble because that overrates these freaking quad four wins. When I when I checked a couple weeks ago, Charleston was like second in it. So <laughs> get lost. But we need some. I mean, we gotta have something here. Um, so my my biggest pet peeve with the bracketologists are the and Lenari does this constantly because he was on the broadcast for the Houston Temple game earlier. They're big on talking about like getting into the projected field today. Right. <laughs> like, it matters. Like they're like, yes, you know, Temple, if they win today, they'll be in the projected field because they'll be the auto bit. Well, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> like, it doesn't matter. It's just why why are we so obsessed as a bracketology community? And I'll throw myself in it because I pretty much click on every one, I guess, except for yours. I didn't even see you tweet one out. That's why I didn't click on it. Or else I would have clicked on it. And then Texas UY province was too low. Uh, but anyway, um, why are we all so obsessed with what the field looks like now? That's that's what creates this groupthink and um, homogeneity, or whatever the word is, where everything's basically the same with a tweak. You know, Kevin's is the same as Joe's, except Kevin has Providence as a six and Joe has Providence as a seven. 
right? It's just like a tweak here and there, but everyone's got like the same thing. And the people that really try to be different are just are just wrong. Like with Jerry Palm is like, oh my God, um, Arkansas is going to miss the field because they don't have a win on a Tuesday this year, and no at-large team has ever gone worse than three and nine on Tuesdays. Um, that that's just nonsense. If 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 everyone wants to do a bracketology and stand out, it should be a projection and different people's opinion on how the remaining five weeks of the season is going to turn out. Well, the other thing I don't quite understand, again, I do, I do bracketology. I do put my effort into it, but I will say my effort on it increases substantially as we get closer, right? Like it does not like, like we're sitting, like people are like, should Oklahoma be in right now? Oklahoma will play itself in or out. Like why, why are we worried about this? But specifically Oklahoma, as opposed to literally every other team in the country, is that Oklahoma is good enough to be a tournament team, right. but in their specific conference, if, if 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 they play well and get a couple quality wins, they're out because they're gonna have a cascade of losses. But like we're like like we're sitting here and we're like blind resuming. And we're and we're we're comparing and oh well you know I, I think this team should be ahead of this team and I think you know I, I think the Mountain West is good it, it is is at five bids right now they just got their fifth bid well what happens when other things happen like like that's that's for for next week's bracketology we have to keep updating it I, I don't understand I don't understand it yeah like I I I, I would rather and I, I understand why we have to do it. like bracketology is what people click on they like doing it whatever people like reading it cool people like reading it and then texting it to their friends and being like hey look how dumb kevin sweeney is look how dumb jerry palm is look how dumb joe lenardi is look how dumb lucas harkins is look how dumb all these people are um but i think it would be much better served if we just like we just obsessed about the path you know well i i think t rank has that where you know it says like for providence it says okay we're we're projecting 22 and nine. That'll be 14 and six in the league. And that'll be a 7.3 seed. Right. Cause I want to, cause I don't, I, I think problems is going to go 16 and four. Right. So I want to know, okay. That probably means that there'll be five seed, maybe four seed. Right. I just, I just get very frustrated. Like, oh, wow. you like, you know, Florida played its way into the, like, like they're, we're obsessed with like, Oh, where did that put them today? But everyone has uneven. It goes back to Brad's very popular schedule rant. Like every team's remaining path is very different. Which is why the projection bracketology would be so effective. Right. But and well, well, so so here's actually the biggest root of the problem is that everyone's bracketology has a little bit of projection based into it, but. No one acknowledges it, and everyone puts a little bit more or less into it, depending. Right? Like, in my head, like, I am absolutely subconsciously saying Oklahoma can be out right now because they're going to keep losing and they're going to be out. Right? Like, yeah. maybe today or maybe last Wednesday, Oklahoma belonged in the field by, like, a razor-thin margin resume-wise over, you know, I don't know, Pittsburgh, right, or Penn State. But – you're staring at Oklahoma's schedule. Like, there's no chance they're they're, they're not going to even finish 500. Like, they're not even going to be eligible to play in the NCAA tournament. So, 
that's that. The bracketologies, the bracketology complex is getting a little bit too, too big for its britches, in my opinion. It's the same thing with preseason top twenty fives, right? Where every year, the the range of rankings for every team gets shorter and shorter, and it's always being pulled into one hodgepodge of uniformity. I, I appreciate the work being done by the bracketologists, particularly the good ones. You know, like Lucas Harkins, our friend, does a tremendous job. Usually at the top of the bracket matrix for a reason. But at the same time, folks, some of this stuff is just bananas. And a key is, like what Lucas does, you got to have a visual component. you got to put the logos next to it. Yeah, Have some that's, presentation. That's, that's, stop that's stop spending time on parsing and pontificating about three and seven quad one versus five and six quad one plus two, and and get get the little graphics in there. Okay, thank you, Brad. Um, do you have anything else you want to get off your chest before we dive into the slate? Uh, lastly, yeah, I wanted to apologize for counting my chickens before they hatched on Northwestern and Siena, uh, because last week, at this very moment, I. I proclaim both as NCAA tournament teams. Northwestern goes out and gets blown out by Michigan at home. Siena goes 0-2, and their best player like kind of plays, kind of doesn't play. Who knows what's going on with Mr. McCollum. And Northwestern gets, gets the road win today at Wisconsin, uh, but still feel a little more fragile than it did at this time last week. Agreed. If they beat Ohio State... They're probably going to be okay because they probably can steal one of their finals, one or two of their final set. But if they talk, lose to Ohio State, still trouble. Talk about fra- fragile and being on the precipice here. Ohio State, I mean, Chris Holtman's freaking out, getting thrown out of games. Ohio State, like, it's nuts because I remember I, I tweeted, I think, after, like, their second or third loss in a row, like, you people that are be insane to want Chris Holtman fired. And Chris Holtman just hasn't won since. And I still think that's the correct take. That like Chris Holtman Absolutely. should not get fired. Or I was putting this like I, I was I was actually texting with a coach before this podcast and he asked me about Holtman and I said, you know, maybe maybe Notre Dame, like there'd been a little bit of buzz there. And they said, well Pat Kelsey could go to Ohio State. I was like, in what world? Like, what world are we living in where we actually think that Pat Kelsey is a better coach than Chris Holtman? Exactly. Because <laughs> like, people want new, right? right? A high major coach, you know. It, here, here's one that didn't work out, right? It was the Mike Anderson one, where at the time, you know, people bogged on the the uh, geographic fit, but St. John's hiring a guy who's made a couple NCAA tournaments, had some good teams at Arkansas, did a, a solid job in the SEC. That's a good hire. But people want the new, young, flashy, mid-major guy. Right. They're hope. Everyone's hoping they get the next Nate Oates or the next Eric Musselman. But there's a lot of, like, Lamont Parises in that group. Yeah. And I don't think that – I don't think that Pat Kelsey is likely to fail as a high-major coach. But, like, Chris Holman's recruiting all the right players for Ohio State. They've, they're producing pros. Before this year, they were getting a five seed in like every other tournament. They they had a two seed in the bubble. Right. They had they had like bad NCAA tournament luck one year. Bad early entry luck. Bad early entry luck. And this team doesn't seem to really like each other. 
and they've gone from two and zero in the league to three and nine, staring down Northwestern and Michigan State coming to town this week. So, and if I'm a high major coach, I'm one of the vultures circling this roster come portal time because they recruit so well and things have gone so poorly. I'm I'm putting my nose in there, seeing seeing if any uh, Jenga pieces uh, fall off the. Hey, can I steal? Can I steal Eugene Brown? Can I steal Felix Akpara? Can I steal Roddy Gale? Who knows? Maybe if Holtman leads, um, and maybe some of these, like the Bruce Thorntons and the Zed Keys, don't want to play for the new coach. I mean, maybe you could get like one of the elite portal guys. Obviously, you you would probably have to come with a bag. Uh, I agree. But <laughs> so maybe Steve Forbes shouldn't put his nose in there. But it is interesting, like. I said this on Twitter when the first Holtman should get fired discussion happened. Like, there's not one thing Chris Holtman has done to build Ohio State that I would do differently. Like, the way he's built this program to me is like the perfect building model for for this day and age. They've gotten generally unlucky with turn in the tournament, um, with the Oral Roberts game. They've got generally Holtman has not coached defense at a super high level. That's an understandable criticism. But simultaneously, like, unless you've got names, you know, we're taking this job. What are we doing here? Right. Like Steve Forbes, honestly, like would be a, a very, like a, a good hire there, but that's probably like as good as you're getting. The, the, one, first, the first time around they offered uh, Greg McDermott and uh, he said, no, the one, the one name. And I can honestly see McDermott taking it this time around, but we'll see. The one name that I think of that's like a slam dunk. Yes, he's better than Nate. Uh, yes, he's better than Chris Holtman. Excuse me. Yes, there's a chance he'd take the job. And I said this three weeks ago was Nate Oaks. But Nate Oaks just signed a contract extension that makes his buyout $12 million this spring. He's not going there. They don't, they're not paying $12 million to buy Nate Oaks out. And Nate Oaks, quite frankly, would not assign said contract with said buyout if he really thought he was going to be able to – if he really thought Ohio State would be available this offseason. He's got a rolling there. Right. He's got a rolling. They have a chance to bring a lot back. Like, like again, if Ohio State's going to fire Chris or, or if Ohio State's going to let Holtman walk to Notre Dame and they're going to wind up hiring Pat Kelsey or Dusty May or, um, you know, even like Steve Forbes. Or like who? Or Sean Miller, Richard Patino, Richard. Yeah, like they, <laughs> you can't get it. Like, like the realistic, like pie in the sky names for for Ohio State that like maybe would have a chance of saying yes are Nate Oates, but the money's a problem. Greg McDermott, Sean Miller. Like, what? Who else is on this list of coaches who why, are taking that job? Why would Sean Miller leave Xavier? Bigger money, better job. Because I saw on the on the Syracuse message board, people were saying that after Bayon retires, that the message board rumor was that Sean Miller had interest in Syracuse. And I was like, I don't know. I don't think Sean Miller would take Syracuse, but I think Ohio State is the thing about it. Because Ohio State's a really good job. Ohio State is, is Texas of the North. Right? If, if, Football, if he money. takes Ohio State, Xavier has to hire Chris Mack. There's no other way around it. Agreed. I, I still like put the percent chance that Holtman is not head coach next year at like twenty percent, maybe twenty five. 
I do think he'd be smart. Like if there is a really good job for him, like, like Notre Dame, if he can get out of, I don't know what his buyout is at Ohio state. If he can get out of his contract at Ohio state and Notre Dame will pay him close to what they're paying him at Ohio state, just getting out of that negativity, I think makes some sense. But there are very few parachutes for me that I would take if I was Chris Holden. Notre Dame is probably like the one. And even then, like they're not out of it. Like they, they could go eight and twelve in the league and make the tournament. Yeah. They have great metrics still. The metrics refuse to quit on Ohio State. Although most of those eight, eight and twelve, seven, eleven type of teams that make the tournament had a huge non-con. And I don't think Ohio State did, right? They beat no, they their their non-con wins are Cincinnati. Cincinnati, Texas Tech. Their best wins right now are Rutgers at home. Northwestern on the road and Iowa. So they've got a lot of work to do, but they've got the schedule to do it. They also have the schedule to, you know, go four and 16 in the league. So interesting days ahead in Columbus, but my general feel still would be Chris Holtman will return, but Notre Dame could be a possibility. Staying in the state of Indiana. Indiana Purdue was a fantastic game yesterday. Zach Eady was Zach Eady. Yes. Jalen Huchifino was great. There was a one play in the, in the second half where I think Braden Smith kind of did a, a flyby to try to get a steal on the fast break, and Huchifino kind of stumbled and fell over. It was so funny. Dickie D was like, that's a foul. Oh, my God. What what happened? Oh, that's like the biggest travesty in the world. How did they not call a foul? And they show the replay, and Braden Smith didn't touch him, and Dickie D just goes, I don't think he fouled him. <laughs> well, no, so the most 2023 20, response has ever been. Like, that's, like, the epitome of 2023, like, outrage, 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 and then, like, you learn the facts, and you're like, oh, I guess I was wrong. Whoops. I'm the what next was time. actually funny about that play was, like, that play happened, he was down, and you watched his leg kind of, like, give out from under him as he was jumping, which is why he went down, and you were like, oh, Jalen Huchfino's done for the year. Like, what is it, ACL, Achilles, like, it's got to be something really bad. And then they come back from break, and I, I think I had the sound off or really quiet, I couldn't hear the, the broadcast. And they just, like, start panning the camera, and Huchifino just standing there in the game. I'm like, how is he in the game? Yeah. He had, then he had, you know, the biggest basket of the game down the stretch um, to help Indiana stave off Purdue. I thought Purdue was really good. Like, especially yeah, they, the second half. Um, it, it looks great. The ball movement was flying. They were hitting shots. I think yeah. I'm, I'm also, like, officially at the point. The common refrain with Purdue has been, well, they're not going to win in March because they have two freshman guards. Right, and that's hard to trust. I'm at the point now, like, Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer may tense up and play badly in March. That's possible. But I don't think we can use the freshman excuse. Number one, they've been through everything else in college basketball except the NCAA tournament. And number, and number two, those dudes are ice cold. Lawyer especially. Lawyer's been awesome. And Smith, like, I know Smith had a costly turnover. That was his only turnover of the game. In 37 minutes on the road at Assembly Hall, he has been you know, tough as nails all year long. He makes big passes. He made us some huge plays in, in that down-the-stretch second half to set up Edie. They're very, very poised and polished in late-game settings. We've seen it against Rutgers. We've seen it against um, in, in the game they lost. Uh, Michigan State in the game they won down the stretch on the road at, in East Lansing. Um against Ohio State on the road in a very close back-and-forth game. Um, they're, they've gotten incredibly good, and they did it against Indiana, of 
getting quick post catches and baskets for Edie in late clock situations. I think that's something that you naturally highlight with any team that has a big um, and, and maybe questionable guards is, okay, how does, how does that team look in end of game situations? How do they look when they really need a basket? Well, Purdue's proven that they can get him touches. Like he is just so big and so available. Like you can get him the ball. It doesn't matter what you do. He's going to be able to score. I think the freshman thing is going to look, it's just like, it's going to be like a self-fulfilling excuse where like when they lose in the NCAA tournament, like I told you, I told you they have young, they have freshman guards. And it's already shifting where it's like, okay, now it's not, they have freshman guards. Oh, they don't have pro guards. Like what's Fletcher lawyer? He's six foot five and shoots the cover off of it. We're saying he's zero chance playing the NBA. That would be foolish. Also like, are we watching UCLA? Do they have pro guard? Who's UCLA's pro guard? I mean, even uh, Dakota Mathias got a cup of coffee in the NBA. Right. Who's uh, like heck? Who's who's UConn's pro guard? Who's um, who's Marquette's pro guard? Is Tyler Kolek an NBA player? Who's uh, I mean, Houston is Marcus Sasser. Great. Houston's also struggling with AAC teams every night. Who's Arizona? Who's, Al- who's Alabama's pro guard? I guess Miller, but he's not really a coach. No, he's not. Right, like, what, what are we doing here? So, I don't know. I, I think I think Purdue will be just fine. I, I thought I thought the way that they battled, like in the first half, the kind of the, the storm that got put on them was, I think, more a reminder of how good Indiana can be when threes are falling because they made some in the first half and it really opened a lot up. But, you know, I, like Edie was dominant. It is crazy, too, because, you know, watching Edie at 4 o'clock, right, making every, you know, he's making these really tough post moves, scoring effortlessly with with his back to the basket. You get to 8.30, and Oscar's missing a lot of chippies around the rim. You get to 10.30, and Gonzaga's melted down. They're going to Timmy down the stretch, and he can't finish these, you know, pretty challenging post shots that Edie makes look effortlessly as well. So, um just kind of that, I guess, dichotomy of watching Edie dominate a, huge, a very big and athletic Indiana team yes. while Timmy and Oscar were not as good. That They were they were showing some signs of weakness against worse teams. Uh, was Are we sure St. Mary's is worse than Gonzaga? I, I, I think definitely Mitchell Saxon's worse than Trace Jackson Davis, Trace Thompson, and Malik Renew. Uh, mm-hmm. As for the team... I, I, I want to say yes. It looked like the Zags had that game in control last night, um, and St. Mary's just chipped away. And you know, Aiden, Aiden Mahaney was great, and that was this that. Aiden Mahaney kid is awesome. Like he he made so many tough shots. Like when he had he had that like like wrong hand, wrong foot, like scoop layup in traffic. And I was like, get out of here. And then the pass he made on that key possession at the end of the regulation to tie the game. You know, he weathered the storm after shooting at Portland in the first half and was just superb in the second half and willed this team to victory. He's been an, a huge scorer for this team. He's been in double figures in all but one game since their MTE against, starting with Vanderbilt Thanksgiving week. Um Looks like a future superstar there. Um, 
they're also bringing a great guard next year, Jordan Ross, California, who will be really good for them. And, you know, Saxon's young and still really good, still a junior. The Wessels kid is statistically fantastic. He'll be, you know, the next guy there up front. Bowen's got a COVID year. Dukas has a COVID year. Like, they could be good for a while, St. Mary's. And they already are really good. I do have the tendency to say, oh, but maybe they're not that good. Yes, they lost neutral to Washington, home to New Mexico, and home to Colorado State. But, like, they really guard. And if they have a guard who can make plays like Mahaney, hard not to buy that they can be, a, you know, at least a second weekend team in the SLA tournament. Absolutely. I mean, now, now that they could potentially add – not only one, but potentially a second Zag win when they have a rematch, I believe, in a couple weeks. Um, well, there's only a couple weeks left in the season. Um, but adding those two Gonzaga wins plus those metrics could could get them a more favorable seed. Uh, it's going to be tough because, obviously, the Big 12 seeds are moving up. The, the Big 10, if they can get some last-minute separation, you know, maybe Indiana or Rutgers can maybe improve their seed. Um, the Big East teams have kind of held firm. Um, you got the two Pac-12 teams in there, which I keep on seeing people say that UCLA hasn't beaten anybody, um, but every, everyone still puts them at like a two seed in the bracketology. Um, in the SEC, we got what? We got Alabama and and Tennessee will have a very high seed. I think that's it, right? So. Um, my, my hunch is that unless St. Mary's wins out, they're just getting a five seed. They're getting the Houston treatment last year where their metrics are good. They have a weird resume. Yeah, it's a five seed. But the, um, what's it called? The top 16 reveal will be notable there because if they're above, say, you know, 15, if they're, you know, top 12, that made they kind of readjust our expectations for where St. Mary's could be seated. Stroke and Zaga, like, I didn't think they were bad. Like, I thought they wilted down the stretch. I think their defense, especially the second half, just could not get stops. Um, again, they got very, you know, mediocre guard play, particularly from from Hickman. Um, Bolton was bad in this game. Smith gave him a nice left to the bench. But, like, there's a lot of looking around with this team when Drew Timmy doesn't have there's a lot of like, okay, like, what are we supposed to do? Stroth had a couple of nice drives. He had those like two floaters, but his shooting has been, you know, statistically good, but but streaky. You know, games like this one, games like the Alabama game, he didn't shoot it great. Um, I think back to the Purdue game, he was a non-factor. Um, struggled in the Baylor game. Like in their biggest games, Strother has been a little quieter. He has not been the worthy number two to Timmy, and I think that's really hurt them. I still think they're a good team. They're just not a great team, and, you know, it's hard to buy a ceiling for a team that doesn't defend in March. And now speaking of seeds, right, the the Zags have the Kentucky win. Right. They have a win over Xavier. They have some outstanding wins. Yes, they have good stuff. St. St. Mary's, we know now that they have a win over Gonzaga. They also have, I believe, San Diego State. They'll they'll 
they'll have some, you know, solid stuff in there. You mentioned the Houston resume last year. Or is that right? good good metrics, weird resume, we'll put you on the five seed. What What is keeping Houston from doing that this year? Is it just buzz, right? Because isn't their only win over Virginia? Or am I forgetting something? They lost Virginia. That's their, that's their great win. They have St. Mary's on the neutral, okay. which I guess is a really good win. Um, so it's just those those two? I believe, yes. I could look this up, but... Uh, I'm looking at Ken Bomb right now. Hold on. They have Oral Roberts at home. They have oh, come Oregon on. on the road. Get lost. That's a Q2 game. Oregon on the road is a Q1. Um, the St. Mary's game, I think, technically is a home game, but I don't know for sure. They have the road win at Virginia. Um, they have a road win at Cincinnati, which I believe is Q1. They have a oh, get lost. Lane, which is Q2. They're, they've Last year, they were just lacking in the total wins. This year, they have five... They, they entered today with five Q1 wins and six Q2 wins. Last year, I think they only had, like, two Q1 wins. Okay. So. But I agree. It is, it is somewhat thin, and it's built on, it's built on like, belief in teams like St. Mary's and Earl Roberts being really good. I believe St. Mary's is very good, at least, like, top 20 good. Yep. I, I don't believe Oral Roberts is good. So what my thing with Houston is I think they're one bad loss from being no longer a one seed. Because yeah, they lost a Temple at home and they lost Alabama. Alabama. Oh, that's that's not a bad loss. Uh, right. But they they were on on the ropes against someone else recently. Too. Oh, it, it was a Cincinnati. And Wichita, they were on the ropes too. Right. Yeah. They haven't been convincing lately. Speaking Maybe of teams. Was... Speaking but, of teams that are not convincing. And maybe never were convincing. Uh, I watched a big chunk of Miami Clemson, which which was a very good game. Um, Clemson finally healthy. At least I saw Hemingway in there. He he hit a shot. Uh, Brevin Galloway was back, so I think they had I think they had their guys. Uh, they lose to a good good and explosive Miami team at home. I was watching Miami. Must have been Virginia Tech last week, and Nigel Pack went on like an all-time heater. He 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 uh, he had like 15 straight points, but if they just weren't finding him in, in a tr- transition, he was just knocking in three after three. Um, but anyway, on Clemson, um, I watched uh, more than I should have of their game against Boston College earlier in the week, and there was there was a moment in the second half of that game which I thought was the symbolic end of their season. And Chase Hunter was just dribbling in half court, and Makai Ash and Langford just went up and just took, just ripped the ball right from him, and went down. I believe got fouled on a fast break layup attempt. Um, to me, that that moment right there was all right. Clemson's done. And obviously they, they lost that Boston College game, and then they went out and lost to a good good Miami team. But their their, their whole claim to fame was this kind of belief that. The first place ACC team has got to be pretty good, right? Um, but now they're showing a lot of signs of weakness there. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the resume, it's hard to like it, right? They have bad metrics. They have three terrible losses. Um, I think they probably need at least one and maybe two of – I think if they only get one, they need to do something in the conference tournament of at Carolina – 
at NC State at Virginia down the stretch. And they have Carolina th- this week, right? This Saturday? Yes. Saturday. That's huge that's, game that's, for both teams. Right, because North Carolina, they, they look like a tournament team every time you watch them for the most part. Um, and if not for that buzzer beater by Pete Nance against Ohio State, they, they would be like square on the bubble. They're, they would be 0-8 in Q1 games without that buzzer beater. They look the part. I mean, they don't live up to their potential. But like when you watch them, you don't think that this is an un, untalented team. They just, for whatever reason, and I, I saw the, uh, the the sheet that the Duke student section pass around to do their chants, um, which is just kind of wild that somebody presumably wrote those stuff down in earnestness on on that sheet, that that's not them poking fun of themselves. Uh, but one of the things that they put down, I don't know how, how, how they would know this, but that Caleb Love was sleeping with R.J. Davis' girlfriend, Um which makes you wonder, every time a team is not living up to expectations. I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to put it out there. That does sound like a Caleb Love kind of move. Well, I mean, every time a team... Shots, like, like, what's the difference here? I mean, every time that a team is not living up to expectations and you're, you're like, racking your head, like, how can this happen? <laughs> the answer is probably just something like... Yeah. Um, like the Nevada team where Jordan Caroline and the Martin twins started hating each other because someone slept with someone's girl. It was kind of a, that was the last must year. Um, and you know, the, the the message boards always like to do you know analyzing body language on the bench and who yeah. was clapping after a play and who wasn't. Um, someone needs to someone needs to figure out who's sleeping with who on Ohio State. That that must be their problem. Right. It's got it, it's got to be something like that all all the time. Or like so and so is in a fight with their girlfriend, or they might be academically ineligible if they fail this next test, or you know something off the court that's like very specific. Uh, you know, could could be the reason that a lot of these teams don't don't live up to expectations. But, but am I crazy for saying like the winner of Carolina Clemson or the loser of Carolina Clemson is not making the NCAA tournament? That's a little too extreme. Um, because so, there's... So, 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 so if Carolina loses that game at home, Q2 game, they would be one, still 1-7 against Q1, 5-2 and two against Q2, metrics in the 40s. But how, how, what about that tournament team? Mid-pack and a bad league? And North Carolina at least has the games left to improve its resume. That's the interesting thing about both the SEC, the ACC, and the Pac-12 right now, is that there are a lot of games out there that are just complete nothing burger games. North Carolina at least has at Wake Forest, home Clemson, home Miami, at NC State, home Virginia, and home Duke. Those games all mean something. Those games are all something you could do, you can improve your resume on. So I think Carolina has a better chance to be okay. Like like Clemson, you look up, they have three games that matter left on the schedule. The rest are just landmines. And that's okay, right? Like, I, I think for, you know, maybe a team like Florida, um, you know, maybe a team, you know, so these teams that have some good wins, no bad losses, and are just Oklahoma to- could really use a few landmines. Right. You, you, 
playing five teams that stink would be great. Like I'm looking at Florida's schedule. I'm like, Florida might go 12 and six in the SEC. I'm not even sure they're any good. But I, like, I, I, or 12, or 12 and eight, yeah, 12 and six, not 12 and eight, 12 and six. Like, but Clemson here, like, they need some games. Like, they need, they need some, some stuff to prove that they've done that they're any good because their entire resume is road pit, home Duke, home Penn State. I'm a missing one. Home NC State. It's not very convincing. And I think UNC basically has the same thing, except obviously they, they have the games. Uh, I believe starting with Tuesday, they have at Wake Forest. That's correct. Um, which is an interesting game. Carolina so at games, but I think if they can't beat Clemson at home, I really don't think they're making the NCAA tournament. And that UNC Duke game, um, I mean, that was that was another great game as well. Uh, Derek. Derek Lively finally showing a pulse. Yeah, he was it, good. Roach was, was good. I think it was the maybe the Clemson versus Duke game I was watching. Or maybe it was Miami and, and Duke. Um, and Derek Lively was just in there for like a few minutes. And the guard, the, the, he, he was switched on to the guard, and the guard tried to take him to the rim, and he was like super quick and agile defensively, cut him off. And I was like, all right, Derek Lively, maybe – Maybe the uh, reports of your demise were super exaggerated, and now we start get a little more production. Uh, besides, just a couple of a couple of hard shuffles on the perimeter. Um, the Roach was uh, uh, Ro- Roach was solid, but really it was Tyrese Proctor in that pick and roll in that middle game. He's really fi- finding a groove. He's really getting comfortable, and you know the fact that you could have Lively finding his footing. Proctor finding his footing. Roach is back. Whitehead, I guess, could be back. Um, not sure if he played in the Duke game in, in, in the game on Saturday. Um, Mark Mitchell made some plays. Filipowski Phil, is like their best player, so the pieces are starting to come together here. Yeah, I, I still don't think there's like a ton of ceiling here. Why not? They don't, shoot it. they don't shoot it. Their guard play is just okay, and. Derek Lively has had one game where he's looked like he knew what he was doing all season long. And it was the last game. Sure. No, I, I, I mean, Proctor showed like a real, a real adeptness at navigating the pick and roll, which is his whole thing all along. It's just now he's, he's showing it. He has a good floor game. I just think like. Pick I and roll is more than floor game. Huh? Pick and roll is more than floor game. That's true. That's that's the whole enchilada. It's true. I just I didn't watch that game, and maybe it's because I didn't think North Carolina's that good either. But I didn't come away like, wow, what a what a resounding performance by Duke. They couldn't score against a bad defense. Um, you know, they got not much from their bench. They relied on 20 shots from Jeremy Roach. Like, I don't know. I, I I don't come away from that being like, wow, Duke's really ch- ready to charge. Here, here they come. It's like, all right, they have a winning recipe. They have a team that, that can win games, can be a solid team, maybe make a sweet 16. But I didn't, oh, well, here's top 10 Duke. I don't know about that. Well, I don't, but I don't, thought that, like, I don't home think they're. I didn't think they, were, they didn't look that good. So I don't think they're a top 10 team, but one team who, 
I won't go as far as to say they're a top 10 team, but they definitely have my attention and they better be ranked tomorrow. That's the, the Creighton Blue Jays. I mean, they played bad against Villanova. They did, yeah. but but they held on. Um, Trey Alexander was on fire. Nemhard made some plays. Kalkbrenner was Kalkbrenner with, with the blocks. I mean, he, he stonewalled Eric Dixon at the end. They, they just need more out of Kaluma. That's 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 their their swing piece. He, he wasn't doing the issue he had early season where I'm going I'm to take five dribbles here in this possession. And if I'm his teammates, I'm ready to start run down back on defense and, you know, once he starts dribbling. Um, you know, he made a couple plays. On it will just be very funny when they're ranked this week because they played badly against Georgetown and Villanova in one, but they weren't the week before after blowing Xavier out. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm worried about Villanova. I mean, I don't know if it's coincidence or not, but since Justin Moore's come back, their their defense has been legitimately pretty stout. Um, Which was an issue before. Right, they they had a porous defense. And you wouldn't think adding the guy coming off the Achilles chair to be your point of attack defender guarding point guards is going to solve it. But against Providence, I thought that their defense was pretty good. And against Creighton, I thought their defense was pretty good. Um, I agree. You know, Dixon was was a big problem. Um, he he was scoring in the post. They had to bring doubles. He he hit a big go ahead three in like the last two minutes. Um, but Villanova's feisty. They're getting scary. They're getting Justin Moore back healthy. Really, it's just hopefully they don't do too much damage against the top teams, and, and they have a lot of the top teams left. They still have Creighton uh, coming to Villanova later in the season as well. Um, now that they have a guy who, if he were healthy, would be the best player in the conference, potentially, uh, back. But between Villanova and it feels like Georgetown has a new confidence now. I saw a Georgetown fan tweet. He wanted to run run it back with this team. Um, you know, c- a couple of close games now. Uh, even even Butler finally heard a... It is worth like wondering like, what, but what, would, what would Georgetown's record be if Rick Pitino was coaching them? Same exact players. Probably pretty good. But they'd be over 500 in the league? Probably. I mean, Seton Hall's over 500. I don't think they're very good. Agreed. But I mean, the, the thing from a player side from Georgetown is, you know, I, I think the reason why people like me had them at NIT in the preseason and they are very far from it, the main reason is Kudus Wahab is not Kudus Wahab. Yes. Whatever went down, or I guess went up to Maryland, uh, didn't come back down. Agreed. Anyway, big week for Creighton coming up. You mentioned them. They have Road, Seton Hall, Wednesday. Then they have UConn at home. And then a little Valentine's Day tilt with Providence Friars in, uh, at the Amica Mutual Pavilion. If we can hop back a couple days. Oh, boy. Did you watch Xavier Providence on Wednesday? I did, yes. Captivated the country. Crushing Great loss. Great game. I thought when Providence took the lead, like almost immediately in the second half, I thought Providence was going to run away with this. Uh, but just Nunji was good. Kunkel hit a timely shot. Jerome Hunter played well on the defensive end. He had the yips at the free throw line, though. He, he was giving away points. Um, I, I was surprised that Xavier didn't go with Deontay Miles. They went with Cesar Edwards. A little more skill as opposed to. A little more physicality, uh, but they get the the overtime win, and they went out and blew St. John's out, and 
I saw that they have Butler this week, which is always a safe for sore eyes. So for Xavier, a little concerning that they basically have no bench anymore. Now that not, now that now you don't have Fremantle for at least a month, and it could be more, it sounds like. It's just Claude on the bench. You basically just have Claude. At least when you had one versatile guard and one four who could also play five, because Fremantle could play five and, and you know Hunter could come in, and like you at least had a little bit of a chance to give these guys a breather. Right now, yeah. like that Providence game, 41 minutes, Colby Jones, 41 minutes, Sule Boom, 39 minutes, Jack Nungy, 36 minutes, Jerome Hunter. That's a lot to put on guys. And they've got some games coming up, right? Road Marquette next week. I'm excited for that. Um, still have Road Seton Hall, Road Providence, like Big East tournament time. Like Xavier is a team, especially if Fremantle's not back for it, they should like deliberately try to lose in the first round of the Big East tournament. Well, I mean, they could be like the four seed in the, in the Big East tournament. That's still very much on the table. They play five what? seed UConn, and then no harm in losing that. Yeah. yeah. Lose the game, moving on. But no, that was a good. That was a high level, high level basketball game. Providence hung in despite a bad day from Bryce Hopkins. Roswell, I I need so many apologies from the many haters who said that Ed Croswell was not that good. Ed Croswell I mean, is monstrous. Was I right about everything about Providence this year? Pretty much. Yeah. Posting them the other day. Like in, in in the preseason, there there were people trying to tell me Clifton Moore was going to start instead of Devin Carter and like. What are you guys talking about? Like the starting lineup is always, uh, you know, Bynum, Lock, Carter, Hopkins, Croswell. That's the starting lineup. Period. People are like, no, no, more will start. Croswell will come off the bench. Like, no, no, no. That was always the starting lineup. And you get people saying, oh, Cooley doesn't do well when there's choices that have to be made with the lineup. He needs like a firm lineup. Like there are no choices. That's the lineup. It's always been the lineup since May, whatever, when they got those three guys to commit. Uh, yeah, things are going. Well. I'm, I'm, I'm very pleased as a Providence fan. I, I, I think they're going to go 16 and four. I think they, they'll either lose home Creighton or at UConn. And I think they'll win, win the rest. When they, when they made the, uh, when Bynum hit that three at the end of the regulation, when he just dribbled through the entire floor, just stopped and rolled a banked in three. You're like really, they're doing this again? Yeah. <laughs> they're good, man. They really are. Um. I wanted to mention Florida. I mentioned that you mentioned uh, Oscar Chibwe's struggles against against the Gators. The Gators beat Tennessee early in the week. Colin Castleton was a force in both games. Castleton had 20 points, nine rebounds, three assists against Tennessee. Against Kentucky, he really kept them in the game. Had 25 points, eight rebounds, five assists, three blocks. Way outplayed Oscar Chibwe. Made everything difficult for him at the rim, fouled him out. He was tremendous. Florida just goes through these stretches where they cannot make a jump shot to save their lives. And part of it's that they don't really have a guy who creates for himself. But I think that right now they're playing like a tournament team. Their resume will be interesting because they played a very difficult schedule. Um, like they're non league, they played FAU, Xavier, West Virginia, who's 14th in Ken Palm after blowing the doors off Oklahoma. UConn and Oklahoma in their non-league. And then, obviously, in conference play, they've had their share of games. Their resume is very home-heavy, right? They're really only – their only 
Their only non-home wins are Florida State, Oregon State, and Mississippi State and LSU. They could use a little bit more meat on the bone, and they don't have a lot of opportunity. But they also are going to probably win five games just based on their schedule left. If they just beat Vandy at home, Ole Miss at home, Vandy on the road, Georgia on the road, and LSU at home, they're 18 and 13, 11 and 7 in the league. Then they have three opportunity games at Alabama, at Arkansas, home Kentucky. You win one of those, you're 19 and 12 going to a league tournament, 12 and 6 in the league with a win over Tennessee, at worst a home win over Kentucky. Like, I don't see how you're leaving that team out of the tournament. Plus, they have good metrics. They're top 40 in Ken Bond, top 40 in it. Are we still on my proclamation that this year is a very strong bubble? I think it's fading. But, but it, I, it, it's like fading because Oklahoma and West Virginia are ticking time bombs because of their quantity of losses. It's fading because Ohio State, um, Ohio State and Wisconsin Penn State and Penn State are all kind of playing themselves out. Yeah. Are just gonna have too many losses as as, as well. Um, but like there's five teams in the Mountain West that are punching there. There's now now Seton Hall's kind of emerged as a potential team in the Big East. Texas A&M and Florida's back in the SEC. Um, feel, feels like we're almost adding bubble. I mean Virginia Tech is I saw Virginia Tech first four out. Give me a break. Earlier in the week, and they just beat Virginia. Give me a break. They're four and eight in the ACC. We can't put that team in the tournament. Well, what's what's there? The rest, uh, I'll, I'll I'll pull up T rank. Uh, but they they just beat Virginia, and people had them on the bubble prior to that game. Let me pull up what's going on the rest of the way here, because they are 44 in T-Rank. Um, so T-Rank has them finishing 10-10 and 10 in the league, 20-11 and 11 overall. Um, 41% chance of making the tournament. They have one Q3 loss, three Q1 wins, two additional Q2 wins. The rest, all right, so they have, talk about minefields. They got three minefields in a row. Boston College at home, at Notre Dame, and at Georgia Tech. No, it's, it's good and bad. They have five gimme wins the rest of the way, which is good because, you know, they're going to get to 500 in the league. Yeah, because then they have, to end the year, they have at Louisville and home Florida State. Right. So they have five um, minefield games, and then they have three games where you can you know, play against a tournament team, right? Home Pitt, home Miami, at Duke. But I think, um, they, I think they probably need to win seven of eight. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and, and they're also favored in seven of eight. They're only dogs at Duke on February twenty fifth. Yes. I mean, it's not inconceivable that they could win all eight here. Agreed. In which case, because I mean, if they're four and eight now, so T rank has them going six and two the rest of the way, and that would put them just under a coin flip chance of making it. So um, still a long way to go, but they're in probably better shape than people realize given they lost seven straight. And it seems, you know, anecdotally that they're playing better without 
Hunter could they're, they're, they're playing better with Hunter Couture despite not having Darius Maddox these last few games. Yes. And Maddox has really struggled shooting it this year. So that's part of it. He was 50% from three last year, 32 this year. Do you think that Virginia Tech would be better off if they didn't, if not run off, then kind of let Naheem Aline know where he stood? No, because, I mean, Aline is probably marginally better than Maddox, but like, I think it's been good for them to play more MJ Collins. I think it's been good for them to um, really build around Padula and Mutz. Like, like, whether you put Maddox in the starting lineup or MJ Collins, I don't think it really matters. Like, they're they're a little thin on the wing without Maddox at all. If Maddox is coming off the bench, you're fine. He's not, then you basically just have three guards plus John Camden. But I actually like I like a lot of these Virginia Tech guys. I know they're like older, but like I like Lynn Kidd. Like Lynn Kidd is energized, is an energizer bunny. Like a redshirt sophomore. He was a top 100 recruit, or, or at least close to that. He'd be he'd be one of those guys. I guess he can't transfer again, but he'd be one of those guys. I'd be like recruiting the hell out of if they portaled. Um, he plays plays a lot. I mean, they they were starting him when when Hunter Couture was out. He plays like playing big. He plays 15 minutes a game. And Justin Mutz is gone next year. Yes, he'll start. They'll start. They'll start Mutz, and or they, they could start Kid and uh, Potit next year, or they could uh, go in the portal. Which is what Does uh, Grant Grant Basile have another year? No. I'm gonna be portal. Well, he might. Hold on. Everyone needs the portal. That's, that's... Basile played three games as a freshman, and then the COVID, but and then has the COVID year. So I don't know if he has two left or one. I don't know what the circumstances were behind playing only three games. Let me look at his game log. My apologies. As long as it didn't come after, like, January 1st-ish, you're good. Right. Did he, like, burn a red shirt? Did he, like, what did he do is my question. Grandpa Silly. One moment, please, folks. Live podcasting. He played three of the first four games of the year. And then did not play the rest of the way. So, so he has that year. Theoretically, he wants it. Yeah. If he was injured, even he if he wasn't injured, he has to prove that he was injured. How can he not prove that he was injured if he only played three of the first four games? I mean, I don't know. I don't. I don't, I don't know that he was hurt. I just don't have. That would be like. Unbelievably in the doghouse, like that. That would make Jim Beheim's doghouse like look forgiving. Okay, so it does. It labels him as redshirted on the Wright State website for that year. See, there you go. We're gonna say he has another year. I don't know if anyone. That's like even worse than Kerwin Walton last year, when UNC was like down to like four players in that second round game against Baylor in overtime. After blowing that lead, and they still couldn't even put in, or still wouldn't even put in Kerwin Walton. And yet, Texas Tech was like, not only do we want that guy, we want to pay some NIL money for that guy. Yeah. (laughs) Because he was one of the last guys in the portal, uh, which seems to be the the best way to get NIL money, was be one of the last guys in the portal. But I remember talking with you either on, probably on the podcast, where I was like, all right, Kerwin Walton's just going to go to Minnesota, right? And they're like, no, we got big money going after him. I'm like, what? 
Why, why are we paying six figures for a guy who Hubert Davis just refused to play for like half the season? Anyway. I'm trying to think of any other games we need to get to on this pod. Um, oh, Iowa, like, Illinois. Did we talk about the whole ticket debacle? We did not. We should get into it. Yeah, we, I actually just want to hear what your thoughts are. So what happened was, I guess, the Illinois whatever, student group, student club, um, bought 200 tickets in the preseason, claimed that they were the Illinois Boys and Girls Club, which is like their... Um, you know, they they always do it under an assumed name, which I guess is what doomed them. Because you would figure, like, why wouldn't like why would Iowa care if 200 students were sitting up in the nosebleeds? Like, who cares? So I, I um, think I think what they're saying I think the the thought process is that Iowa would not sell them group tickets if they said they were from Orange Crush. Which they're allowed, like it's in Iowa's right. Iowa has no like reason to get. Iowa isn't required to sell you 200 tickets. They could just be like, sorry, we're not interested in selling you 200 tickets. So I right. think they, they, their assumption, which is probably correct, is that Iowa would have just said, we're not selling you a group like a whole host of tickets, and you can't just buy in that section because, you know, presumably, you know. There are not like, sections open, especially when like single game tickets are available. There's not just like an open 200 tickets to go buy. Right. So they, they needed to buy it through a group, and they needed to make a excuse, like, make up a group basically that like the 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 Iowa would Iowa would not like the human at. fund money for people. Right. Well, well, the best part was so there was the clip that went around afterwards that was like the kid from Orange Crush. Um being interviewed by like the news about this whole whole affair and i recognize this kid he is the guy in orange crush like i go because so at illinois games like the student the, the seating is literally right in front of the student section for media and this kid is like the the annoying student section kid like he's the one who's like yelling like man like like first of all he knows like way too much about basketball like he'll be yelling like God, like Tyson Walker, so good against drop coverage, and you're like, what are you talking? <laughs> yell that? <laughs> yes, he'll like, yell that, and then he'll be like, but then he'll 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 like jump from that to then immediately yelling like, Tom Izzo condones rape or like whatever, and like he's like that he's that student section kid. Um, everyone knows one, you know, they, everyone who went to college and recognizes that kind of guy. So when I see him on the TV, I'm like, of course. But he's like, well, we didn't say we were from the Boys and Girls Club. We said. We were a boys and girls club. <laughs> we tried to leave it as vague as possible. I was like, you gotta be kidding me, dude. Really? This is what we're doing? No, but like, I don't understand where, okay, you say, oh, okay, Iowa wouldn't want to sell that many tickets because the group is discounted and you could sell those single game tickets for more money. But they did sell them to a boys and girls club. No, no, they don't want to sell them to Illinois students. But who, like, the, these are not like, I, I would not imagine that these are prime time seats. These are way up. They were um, right. Yes. Yeah, you know, behind the basket, stuff. way up in the, the right. sky. If they if they could if they can sell 200 tickets to Iowa fans instead of 200 tickets to Illinois students, they're going to do that. Right, but they made that decision in October, and this right. is the Illinois Boys and Girls Club. 
Right, but if it, was, if it was Orange Crush, they would have said, no, we'll sell these to regular Iowa fans. Because it's a Boys and Girls Club, they're like, yes, we'll, we'll allow a group outing. Well, then they didn't get any of the money because they refunded it, and then they gave it to the local Boys and Girls Club, which which was a funny move that they That's had them stand out at – was it at halftime or at one of the media timeouts they had them out there? I saw that on Twitter. No, that was a that was a debacle and a half. Um, yeah, it was it was it was very funny. Well, the other funny thing was like the the, Ill, the 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 Orange Crush could have like made this go away by just like not publicizing that the trip got canceled, or just like publicize like, hey, you know, unfortunately we had an issue with the tickets. Like, um, you know, if you raise, we're really sorry to like the people who fundraised to help us do this trip. We, you know, you know. Unfortunately, most of the money's already gone. We'll try to refund what we can, whatever. That would be the smart move. Instead, they were like, Iowa's AD is a coward. Everyone at Iowa's a coward. And then Iowa and our was like, no, no, you just lied to us. And then they look like idiots. And then they like kind of apologized. And then two days later, they like fully apologized, probably because like Illinois AD probably called them and was like, stop being jackasses and apologize for this. But then they still like threw a party and watched the game at home. So. I just don't understand why the Iowa ticket office would care so much about 200 Illinois students sitting. I, I, I guess maybe they'd be so rowdy that right. they would d- disturb the other fans. Well, I guess also that's, like you're bringing in powder keg, right? You're bringing in a bunch of like drunk 20 year olds who have like with no with no knowledge that they're going to be there. Well, I guess you would if they told. But like you're going to bring in a bunch of like rowdy idiots who could cause fights, cause mayhem, cause a ruckus. And you're letting the opposing team. Well, so, so let we me only want drunk, rowdy idiots from our school. Don't bring them from other schools. Well, so so also think about it this way, right? Like, what if what if someone from Kentucky, you know, they're playing at Florida, let's say. What if someone from Kentucky wanted to buy three thousand Florida tickets? Like they wanted every single open ticket. Don't play paid for them. But but I don't think the, the, the school doesn't want that because it hurts the atmosphere either because the people don't show up or they don't buy concession or whatever. Road fans, right? Like I was confident enough they're gonna sell the tickets to that they, they don't want to bring in opposing fan base basically. This happens a lot in college football where college football like they'll like not include they'll, they'll only like let you buy tickets to one game if it's like part of the season ticket package. You can't buy like Ohio, like Northwestern does this try to keep Ohio state fans out all the time. You're like, you can't buy single game tickets to Northwestern Ohio state until like two weeks before the game, because they want to make it. They're like, if you're going to buy these tickets, we're at least going to get the full season ticket out of these Ohio state fans who want to come to the scheme, you know? Right. That type of thing. Yeah. Everyone does that. Like problems you still with the Villanova and the, the, uh, URI games. Right. Uh, because they can charge more money for the single game tickets as well. Um, but that's that's kind of reminiscent of last year's. Was it Texas Tech, Texas? Where like Texas lets their students in for free, but then Texas Tech like bought all the tickets and can't showed up, and they yes. had to like kick the students out who were like already in, in the building. Yes. Speaking of, I mean Texas had a nice. We, we, I didn't. I didn't watch any of Texas Kansas State. I was on. I watched it. a lot of it. I was on. 
Christian Indiana Pritchard Purdue. was amazing. Huh. I, I, I am still kind of skeptical on Kansas State coming back to Earth. I agree. I also think again, like I, I'm seeing, like, oh my gosh, Rodney Terry, what an amazing job. He inherited a Ferrari. Like he hasn't crashed it. Some maybe would have, but like he inherited a really good team that was playing really well before he took it over. And he inherited a really old team, right? COVID year senior Marcus Carr, COVID year senior Timmy Allen, COVID year senior Christian Bishop, COVID year senior Jabari Rice. Sophomore who played in a Sweet 16, Tyrese Hunter. Superstar freshman who they don't really rely on to do anything, Dylan Mitchell. Superstar freshman they don't really rely on to do anything, Arturio Morris. Dylan DeSue, fifth-year senior, fourth-year senior, excuse me, regular senior. Like, Cunningham's been around forever, too. I'm not, again, this is not to take anything away from Rodney Terry, but, like, we're acting as though he's, like, magically putting the pieces together. The pieces were already there. They were already there. They were already fully assembled. They were already winning. All he had to do was like, hey, do the exact same thing we've been doing. We're better than most teams. Like, I get he's done a good job. But like the like the but I saw like Roddy Terry should be national like Seth Davis tweeted that Roddy Terry should be in the national t- national coach of the year conversation. Are you I mean, sure, me? but like get lost. Who cares? <laughs> what do you mean he's doing the best job in the country? He hasn't done anything. I mean, if if Texas wins the Big 12, I'm perfectly fine with him get, getting National Coach of the Year. Who I mean, cares? would Chris like, Beard have gotten National Coach of the Year if Chris Beard won the Big 12? No. I I would have considered it because I, I want Coach of the Year to be the best team. So yeah. like if Texas finishes the year number one, um, you know, they, they go on this crazy winning streak, getting quad one wins every game in the Big 12. Sure. sure. I guess, I guess Absolutely. My, thing is, my thing is, like, the Nate Oates and the Tommy Lloyds, like the case for those guys as coach of the year this year, oh, or Matt Painter for that matter, is like they had to build the team, right? They have a great team. They had to build the team and then put the guys in the right spots, right? Like, because there's two schools of thought, right? There's the, the overachievers, right? So like Painter would belong in this conversation. Jerome Tang would belong in this conversation. Maybe like a Dennis Gates. Um, like Cooley last year would be a good example of this. Like, Team clearly overachieves preseason expectations. They win national coach of the year. Then there's the, well, their team is really good. So like Alabama, you, you usually have to overachieve a little bit and be really good. So like Alabama, Arizona, um, Texas probably would be in this conversation right now, et cetera. And I think you giving you give credit in the coach of the year conversation to like Nate Oates because, okay, well, they're overachieving some and Nate Oates built an amazing team. And it's not that easy necessarily to build an amazing team in Alabama. Or Tommy Lloyd built an amazing team despite losing three. Like, like Tommy Lloyd is should be in the National Coach of the Year conversation because he lost three NBA players and is still, you know, right at the top of the national rankings. But he isn't because they were a top 15 team in the preseason or top 17, whatever they were, 16, 17. They're top 20 team. Um, that's, like, unfair based on expectation. But I, I – but you give credit to, like, okay, he built the roster to be having those expectations, right? Nate Oates was in the top 20 in the preseason because he recruited Noah Clowney and Brandon Miller. And then they've overachieved what they've had. So with Texas, I'm not even sure you can give that credit to Rodney Terry because he didn't 
he didn't put together the team. I mean, he partially did. He was on the on the staff, but Chris Beard put together the team. Chris Beard was the one who you know recruited you know these these players to come. Well, re- regardless of who recruited them on the staff, they ended up having to sign off on playing for Chris Beard. Correct, correct, correct. But I mean, Texas did lose three of their top five scores, right? Four of their top seven. So it's not like they ran it back. They did build a new team. They're playing really well. I mean, if if we're going to give Arizona extra credit for losing some of their best players and then being at being, you know, near near, near the top of the country, I mean, Texas should get that same that same credit, right? That same stature. For me at least, I'm I'm fine with any of the uh any team that's basically like a one or a two seed getting coach of the year, right? I just think it should be Jerome Tang or Matt Painter. Take it, it starts and ends there. Doesn't need to be anyone else. Maybe Shaka. Well, like, what if Jerome Tang in Kansas State or Shaka in Marquette get, get like a five seed? Who cares? But but that 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 shouldn't be coach of the year. Coach of the year should be one of the one of the best teams, one of the teams that could win a national championship. I mean, the goal is to build the national championship team. But Brad, we're, we're, you what happens is we're, we're, we're going to look back on this like when Keno Davis won National Coach of the Year his one year at Drake when they got a four seed. And we're going to look back and say, this is ridiculous. Like, why did Dusty May get National Coach of the Year in Florida Atlantic losing the first round of the NCAA tournament? But, but, but Brad, remember like three and a half months ago when you said that Jerome Tang had like no talent, like this team had no players, had no chance yeah. of being anything. So I do. they are something. Coach of the Year. It's not. It's not. It's the best how much you improved yeah. or how much you proved the idiot pundits wrong. It's did you do the best coaching job? And the best coaching job. But is, is it a better coaching? But but is it a better coaching job for? Like what is a coaching job, right? right? That is. I think the idea the the idea behind it is it's like okay. It is great coaching if you have like a roster that we think stinks that turns out to play pretty well. Right. right? But that's completely on the media people for being wrong or, or just not having the possible information in October to know that these guys are actually much better than they. That, you know, Tyler Cola could be the Big East player of the year. The Marquette fans were right in our mentions who were saying that he needs to be on a Lacuzzi list. And we said, no, 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 no. He shot 30% from the field last year. The preseason Cousy list? Yes. I don't, I don't remember. I remember. I, I was probably at the time mad that Jared Vina wasn't on it. but I remember was, you coming on and saying, like, Marquette fans are very upset that Tyler Kolick isn't getting enough love. But Tyler Kolick averaged seven points a game. I've always liked Tyler Cole. I, I didn't oh, think too. he was going to be as good as he was this year. Yeah, I thought but he was. Remember, I, I had Marquette preseason in the tournament. I know. You were one of the few. I think one of the only. Um, who, who, who's not a Marquette fan. Uh, but, but really, the, the, the whole concern, right, was we thought they had, like, seven good starters, but they didn't have enough top-end talent. And I think looking back on it, I think between Kolek, between Cam Jones – and then Cam, both those guys showed more scoring chops, and then Oso as well scored a lot more, showed a lot more scoring ability. 
than I think anyone could have reasonably foreseen. Maybe you could have foreseen the Cam Jones. I think he was a scorer in high school. Um, but, like, Kolick wasn't, like, a huge scorer. That, 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 that wasn't his M.O. And Oso, that certainly was not his M.O., as being, like, this post-up master with these beautiful push, little half-hook shots that just seemingly go in every time. Right. They've gotten as much as you could have possibly imagined from everyone else, and then Kolick became, like, a player of the year type. And I, and I thought Zach Reitzel was going to be a starter. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that they needed the rebounding, and they said, screw rebounding. Haven't done anything out. We'll start Stevie Mitchell at the three, and we'll be a top ten team in Kempa. Don't let development from Shaka. Anyway, anything else you want to get off your chest on this podcast before we wrap it up? Um, I missed the first two windows yesterday, so I, I can't tell you anything about Kansas and Iowa State or anything like that, but Lips I was I was locked in from four to like one in the morning with that overtime game in Moraga. And my eyes were my eyes were like seeing sideways by the end of that Gonzaga game, but then Aiden Mahaney woke us all up. So shout out to him, man. He's a fun player. It's fun Saturday. Which he did, was that was that earlier this week when he did the turnaround buzzer beater to be BYU or was that last week? I think it was last week. Last week. But the legend and for, of, for everyone who says Manny came out of nowhere, I mean, he was, a, I believe, a top 125 recruit. He was well regarded. Like, I was actually laughing because, you know, draft Twitter resident idiot uh, Ben Pfeiffer, um, who once claimed that Sharif Cooper was a top 10 pick, tweeted, like, as the game was happening, someone tweeted asking him, like, how, what do you think of Aiden Mahaney? And he was like, I've never heard of him. Look up, dude. I thought draft Twitter literally is no is is no stone unturned. I thought that was like their well they their, they, their they missed they missed the top one twenty five recruit who's one of the most productive players on the circuit playing for West Coast Elite one of the biggest programs outside of the Nike UIBL um, going was recruited by Stanford and Cal was covered by every single you know recruiting paper newsletter um website um chose st mary's played kind of grew up in moraga uh, california and has just been unbelievable for them so good work draft twitter no, i i'm i'm pretty sure you're you're much more likely to see somebody on draft twitter tweet out like oh can't wait for the 2027 draft for Deontay Green to be a first round pick. They've been tweeting every they've been tweeting every single day about how Brandon Podziemski is like the dude, but they missed that he's not even the best guard in the in the league. You think Mahaney's better than Podziemski? Going to be. He's not already. Podziemski's got the size though. Mahaney's got that dog in him. Pod, Podziemski was one that we should have picked up on that he was going to be a monster. Because he was like a late stock inferno, or he got like a Kentucky offer, and he kind of wallowed around at Illinois, couldn't get off the bench at all. He had a, he had a bad reputation at Illinois. Bad reputation for attitude. Yes, but he's been awesome. He's been great for St. Mary or St. Santa Clara, excuse me. All I'm saying is, if you watch all these WCC games you claim to watch to watch Mr. Mahaney, 
I'm just I'm just putting it out there. I think uh, I'm just just putting it out there. I think Mr. Ma Mr. Mr. Mahaney will be quite good, and you should probably know who he is. Yes, my my buddy Ben Pfeiffer once, Brad. He um, we're we're, we're big internet pals. He he started trying to ratio me after one half of one summer league game for Chad Holm uh, for Chad Holmgren about why he was so great when I had tweeted like when I had been on field of 68 and said we've seen Chet struggle with big physical guys. That's that's all it said. But the other day he tweeted that he quote wasn't ready to give up on Sharif Cooper. And like Keon Johnson and Jaden Springer, who are all complete busts, completely useless players. I thought Keon Johnson wasn't a bust. I think he's still kind of a bust. Maybe uh, I, I have followed the NBA less this year than I have in quite some time. Keon Johnson's um, having four points a game and shooting 37% from the field for Portland. Jaden Springer's only played in seven games. He's so young. He's like he's still twenty years old, Jaden Springer. Yes, and Sharif Cooper's out of the league. Yeah, that one was obvious because he was so ball dominant. And small. But he should have been a top ten pick. Should have been top ten pick. Yes, but he's not ready to give up on those guys. But after a half, Chet Holmgren's fine, even though then Chet Holmgren got hurt and missed the whole season. Um Which that's still- that's a tinfoil hat. He's he's not actually hurt. He was hurt for like a couple months, and as part of the Thunder's big, um, you know, draft pick push, which at some point they got to push all the chips in and trade all these picks for a star. Um, well, I think it's after this. It's after Weminyama. Which I think that they're too good to even be in the mix. Um, I think they're like close to the playoffs. They want it, they're, You're going to want to try to see if you can get Weminyama or Scoot, and if you can't get Weminyama or Scoot, you just start trading picks. Yeah, because what, what happened with the Celtics is they had all the picks and they just kind of took their shot at 16 every year. Um, you know, they had 16, 18, and 31, and they had to trade one of them, and uh, they ended up with there's a, a lot of solid players, but not enough star power. But they, they could win it all this year. I mean, they, they, were, they were very close last year, and they were pretty close to the bubble. Um, but, but they could have made that one push all the chips and move they could have been uh maybe like the warriors with you know in in the late 2010s well, we will spare you some nba more nba talk if you want to hear that uh, i don't know give brad a call um no, pl- i i have not followed the nba not like one one percent as closely as i have in, in a previous years i don't know why i honestly can't p- put my finger on it, but usually those like three weeks before college basketball starts and the NBA is is out there, I'm usually like the number one NBA fan. I don't think I watched a single game this year. Um, if you need TV recommendations, come here. Bush, here's, here's a little TV nugget. Oh the one show that I always try to recommend to people who want something quick, and they never take me up on it. I don't know what's with the branding of this show. It's the name of the show must turn off everyone. I think I've recommended it to like five or six different people, and none of them have ended up watching it. It's completely, it completely ignored me after asking for a recommendation. Under the Banner of Heaven on Hulu. 
Okay. It's an FX show came out around this time last year. It was like 10, 10 months ago. That's that's a really good miniseries. Good for about them. murder in Mormon country. Ooh. You sold and, me. Maybe I'll watch it later. And and I think the name just for whatever reason people don't want to watch a show called Under the Banner of Heaven. Like, I I can't explain it. Anyway, please feel free to tweet at that, uh, Brad, excuse me, with your um, game takes and your television takes. I'm sure he's happy to engage with them. Uh, we will see you all next week with another episode of the pod. We are five weeks for Selection Sunday, folks. Let's get ready. <laughs>